Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Before we pick up where we effectively left off on yesterday's program with the prisoner swapping announced towards the end of our show, Brittany Griner for Victor Boot, of course. Before we get to more of that, uh, Amy, give us the color on the event that you ladies had last night. Well, hello, hello. We had a little technical problem there, but we're fine. Hi, Dan. Good morning. Yes, we uh, sold out event, Dan. And guess what? Not this everybody was at was uh, the winery in Joliet? Yes, this was at Bishop Hills Winery, which uh-huh. if you have not mm-hmm. been to, you need to go there. If you're thinking about having a Christmas party anywhere, it is a very cozy place. It's a castle. It's an old castle. The Archdiocese used to own it. Then it was a brewery for a while. And um, it was sold out event. People came from as far as ways Lake Geneva and Indiana and Crown Point, Indiana and St. John. And they all came to have a lovely, quaint event. And uh, we learned a lot. And I got to tell you, Jeannie Ives, she was on fire last night. She didn't. She was dropping F, no, she wasn't dropping F bombs, but she just <laughs> dropping F bombs. No, no, she wasn't. But she was letting it all out. She was just, you know, she was uh, uh, Jeannie Ives unplugged, is what I would have called it. Yeah, well, she's and, a spirited sort. Yes, yes, and she was there. Uh, Stephanie uh, Trussell was also there with us and talking about the election and what happened that night and where they were and just kind of walked us through that and what the plan is for the future. But also, we we want to thank the range at three fifty five as well. They sponsored the event. Okay. All right. Very good. Another successful AM560 event, sounds like. So that's always encouraging. Uh, Less encouraging is some of the component parts of this prisoner swap that we began discussing yesterday. Of course, uh, during our show, we didn't have the commentary that subsequently was provided by the White House, including Mr. 10 percent, the big guy, President Biden himself. But uh, John Kirby, the spokesman for the NSC, was... uh, hitting the airwaves to address some of the criticisms or attempt to address some of the criticisms of the decision and explain from the Pentagon's perspective what was possible and what wasn't possible, and they did what was possible. Uh, the, the deal that, uh, that we got with Ms. Greiner was the only deal we could get, and now was the only moment we could get it. Uh, so we took advantage of that to, to get one American home. But as the president said, we're going to stay focused on, on Mr. Whalen. Uh, this was not, as the president also said, some choice between the two. Um, so I would push back on this uh, notion that, uh, that we deliberately, you know, uh, we, we chose Brittany over Paul. Uh, there was only one way to get one American home, and that was this particular deal. So we're going to stay at it. Uh, we were working on it yesterday. We're working on it today. And I can guarantee the Whalen family that tomorrow and every day hereafter, we're going to continue to work to, to bring Paul home. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 646-36-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. Does that 
satisfy any concerns that you had about this uh, prisoner swap that they could only get Brittany Griner, that the Russians have Paul Whelan on a different level. He, they, you know, he's been accused of espionage, so they want to trade a spy for a spy. So the White House made the deal they could make when they could make it, and end of story, we got an American home. Let's that's celebrate. the good news, and that's the only news. Yeah, I mean, he chose a celebrity over a war veteran. That's what I, I mean, but cause every well, station so I you, listen so to. You, wait, 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 so, so, no. So you dispute what John Kirby oh. is saying. You you think that the White House made a choice to uh, exchange Victor Bo- Victor Boot for for Brittany Griner when they could have gotten Griner and Whalen or just Whalen. Well, is there anybody? Aren't there, are we holding any other Russian spies that we could have traded out for? I mean, there's a lot of information that they're not telling us. But yes, and Stephanie Trussell said that last night. She said this is about race. It's because she's a gay. A lesbian black woman. That's why they chose her over a, a Marine, a war veteran who claims that he was just in Russia on vacation. Now, he did work, have a contract with the U.S. government. Um, and he's been in there for four years. And he was gracious. And I know, you know, CNN was able to talk to him uh, while he was in prison. But he had his bags packed, Dan. He was ready to go. He thought that he was going to be part of this because all along, haven't we heard that he was going to be part of this? Well, they were attempting to make him part of it, uh, but here is Paul Whelan by phone talking to a CNN producer from a Russian prison. Uh, I don't know how CNN got uh, uh, lined up with him, obviously at the good graces of the Russians trying to foment controversy in the United States. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sure, that makes sense. Actually, they would let him talk to uh, Western media yeah, and to CNN, of course. Um, but he even said that he understands he's on a different level than Griner. They've always considered me to be at a higher level um, than other criminals um, of my sort. And um, for whatever reason, uh, I'm treated differently than another um, individual here from a Western country that's also on a charge of espionage. So even though we're both here for espionage, um, I'm treated much differently than he is. And my treatment is also much different than um, others held for espionage at other prisons. Right. So, I mean, there is a hierarchy here when it comes to the value of prisoners, you know, in this context. And so I don't think it's beyond... uh, you know, the, the, I don't think it strains the bounds of credulity to believe that, yeah, we're not going to give you a spy for Victor Boot or the spy plus Griner for Victor Boot that we want more. Or Paul Whelan is in a category by himself and this is a deal over here and there's some other deal over there. Whelan also had uh, this message for President Biden. I would say that if um, a message could go to President Biden that... Um, you know, this is a precarious situation that needs to be resolved quickly. And um, I would hope that he and his administration would do everything they could to get me home, um, regardless of the price they might have to pay at this point. Well, see, to me, uh, there the whole conversation about uh, making allegations that you can't really substantiate that they the administration made a choice and... You know, but even Whalen is administration. Well, neither do I. But even Whalen is suggesting that the hierarchy that I described and has been described. I, I go back to where we started yesterday. 
is Victor Boot for Brittany Griner, is that a good swap? Uh, again, clearly, Brittany Griner shouldn't spend any time in a Russian prison camp, much less 10 years. Nobody supports that. No rational person supports that. She should be at home. Forget the politics. Forget her politics. She's an American citizen, and we should do what we can to get American citizens uh, out of uh foreign countries who are wrongly in prison. Okay, so that's the baseline. But the Victor Boot issue, that exchange, this guy, the Lord of War, the Merchant of Death, the number one trafficker of illegal arms in the world prior to his yeah. capture. And one of his indictments is conspiracy to kill Americans. Well, right, because in in part, he provided arms to the Taliban against who were using them against U.S. and NATO forces, for goodness sakes. And that's just part of his record. And so this was really something to behold, this exchange between Phil Wegman over at uh, RealClearPolitics.com and the quadruple threat, Karine Jean-Pierre, on the issue of, uh, you know, speaking of Victor Boot, is he still a national security threat? What's going to happen when Vic is reunited with his old friend Vlad? Is that going to put American lives at risk? Listen to this. The question is, and the question has been uh, um, uh, placed to us, is do we have security concerns, right? Uh, and what we have said is that the president uh, did not make this decision lightly. Uh, just want to make that very clear, but he believed this was the right thing uh, to do to secure Britney's uh, release, and we are always going to stay vigilant. Uh, that is something when it comes to our national security. That is something that the president uh, and his administration will do, and we will sif- swiftly act uh, to protect it, to protect our national security. Uh, and that is true yesterday. That is true today, and that will be true after Mr. Uh, Boots' release. So that is a commitment that the president has made. I'm not the intelligence committee here, uh, uh, so I'm not going to get into any intelligence uh, about that particular individual. What I could tell you is our commitment uh, and how this was not a decision that the president made lightly. I mean, Wait, she's just so oh, awful. She's just so awful. She, oh, oh, she's not, not getting any better. The, you don't have any threat assessment, national security threat assessment? You're not the intelligence committee, whatever – do you know anybody in the intelligence community you can talk to? You know, you're you the White House spokesman. Yeah. I mean, was she briefed at all? Make an effort. She could have even gone on Twitter and have seen a 60 Minutes piece they did on him in 2010. He supplies it, arms around the world. He had 60 planes. He had his own air fleet so that if, if somebody needed weapons or arms right away, he could take it to him. Boom. It's obvious that he poses a national security threat. It's obvious that when he's reunited with his pal Vlad, he is going to get back to doing what the Russians are aimed to do, which is um, kill Americans and otherwise undermine anti-communist Western regimes like America. So uh, it's just that is so insulting. And this. But it, it, but this misdirection play of like of uh, uh, it's not uh, misdirection plays too strong. But the the focus on what they could have gotten in exchange. The 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 predicate question is: Is there a circumstance under which Victor Boot should be released? Given the 
implications of him being free to work with a communist dictatorship in Russia. And we're all in Ukraine and giving them, what, another $800 million yesterday? He's going to join that fight against them. Bill and Glenn Allen, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, I saw a report that it was actually the Saudi prince, that, um, Mashogi or whoever he is, who actually broke MBS. the deal. No, you, well, you, there was... No. I mean, there was some there was some scuttlebutt about that, but that's all unsubstantiated. Thanks for the call, Bill. Steve Roselle. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Dan, thank you for pointing out that it's actually an exchange. I keep hearing the media elsewhere saying it's a swap, as if it's a big group negotiated for another big group. No, it's just an exchange, and the left is fighting the war on words. Okay, thanks for the call, Steve. Karen Beecher. Good morning. Um, I'm coming from a very emotional place. I think I've told you before, my mother was a staff sergeant for the Marine Corps for five years and five months during the Korean War, not a conflict, but a war. So we grew up with the um, attitude of Semper Fi and, you know, you never leave anybody behind. But that trade, that that diaper dimwit negotiated, and I'm using quotation marks, I know you can see that through the phone, was like trading a joker for an ace if we're talking about a deck of cards. Are you kidding me? And then he had nothing, Biden had nothing to do with the negotiation. He doesn't even know where his ice cream is at this point. But that spokesperson, her fumbling and stumbling this is such an insult and an insult to the families that have Marine Corps or had Marine Corps or any soldier in their family. Trading a broad baller for this Dr. Death? No, thank you. Thanks for the call, Karen. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, The uh, human home exemption, Ben Bradley. Uh, Ben Bradley's uh, one of the newsreaders for WGN. Oh, boy, what's going on? 
An elite private school in Chicago is defending itself after a group known for deception posts video that appears to show a dean saying students were shown sex toys in school. Really? Is that what we have from Project Veritas? Did he tweet that out? That's his statement. Yeah. That he, yeah. An elite private school in Chicago, Ben Bradley reporting, is defending itself after a group known for deception posts video that appears to show a dean saying students were shown sex toys in school. That's your official report from WGN. There's nothing appear. There's no appearing. It it happened, and he said it not once but multiple times. Well, about the butt plugs and the dildos and all that. Uh, here is uh, that conversation that Dean of Students at Francis Parker, Joseph Bruno, had with a undercover Project Veritas reporter. And you see if uh, what you hear comports with the version that uh, Ben Bradley is reporting. So I've been the dean for four years. During Pride, we do a Pride Week every year. And I had... Um, I had, like, our LGBTQ plus health center come in. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to my students, talking about queer sex, using blue versus using spit. Who is this? This is uh, an LGBTQ plus health center came in to talk to my high school students. Nice. They're just, like, passing around dildos, butt plugs. The kids are just playing with them. They're looking at them. In the school? In, in a classroom. Wow. Yeah. While well, I'm sitting there. Then we had a drag queen come in. Um, pass out cookies and brownies and do photos. It's so amazing. And everybody's cool with that, like the plugs and the dildos. Yeah. No big complaints. Yeah. I mean, if the parents found out, would they? No. It's queer sex. This is the drag queen that came in. What's her name? Uh, Alexis Bevels. Alexis Bevels. And just hung out in my classroom. And was there? Or hung out in my office. You have so much freedom. So much Wiggle room. So much freedom, so much money. I mean, I mean to do stuff. Trustees are okay with that too. They don't know. They would. It's like we. I wouldn't even like run it by them. Like, why would I run it by them? They'd be like, "Oh my god, that's wonderful." Like, yeah. How old were the kids at with the classroom? 14, 18. They're like, "How do you? How does this work? How do we do? Like, how does this work?" Right. Um, so, yeah, that's a really, like, cool part of my job is I don't have to worry about stuff like that. Yeah, there is an appearance that he is talking about showing students uh, sex toys and having discussions about them and 14-year-olds. Yeah, that, it does appear that he yeah. was saying those things and doing those things. Yeah, it's it's very, you know, it's it's very restrained reporting on Ben Bradley's part. Because, you, you know, you never know. It's a real tough call if uh, what you're hearing is actually what he was saying. Is that what? I'm to understand. Don't believe my lying ears, well, Ben. It's just deflection. They're not focusing on the real issue. They're you know, saying that this may be something that it's not. And then, of course, you know, it's the, you know, the this guy's the victim now because he was filmed without his knowledge or permission. If you uh, can't attack the message, you attack the messenger. And that's what Ben Bradley's dutifully doing. And Francis I mean, Parker. Yeah, well, Francis Parker, too. And now we've got uh, James O'Keefe uh, yesterday, the principal at Project Veritas, of course. He uh, took the statement that Francis Parker released yesterday and he responded to it 
Last week at the National Association of Independent Schools People of Color Conference, one of our employees was targeted by the group and misled to believe he was conversing with another conference attendee over a coffee. He was filmed without his knowledge or permission while describing one example of our inclusive, affirming and comprehensive approach to sex education. This group, Project Veritas, has now edited the video with malicious intent. That's interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. And launched it publicly tonight. Please know this video contains descriptive language. If you choose to view it, we ask you not to share it because it will add to its viral power. So they're saying that we edited it with malicious intent. Literally his words. There, there are no edits. It's just him talking about dildos and butt plugs and spit and awful things about with 14-year-old girls getting this information. This is, I don't know what, there's no edit. What are they talking about edit? Are they saying he didn't say these things? Then sue me. Sue me. Mm-hmm. By the way, we never lost a defamation lawsuit. That's because we don't edit anything improperly. Earlier this week, the same group Veritas attempted to ambush our employee at the school and was escorted off campus without incident. Well, we have that video coming tomorrow. Your characterization is maliciously edited, by the way, compared to what we actually have on video. It's always interesting how that works. Well, we have no reason to believe there is a threat to the physical security of work with the alderman's office and police has implemented higher security measures. (laughs) These are underage children being given anal sex toys. Yeah, that's the sum total of it right there, that last statement at the end. And everything else from the school, from Francis Parker, from the uh, uh, compliant Chicago press corps hacks like Ben Bradley is just white noise. That's the bottom line. That last phrase that O'Keefe uttered. These are This is about anal sex toys in a educational setting being given to 14-year-olds. That's what this is about. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You could also reach us at 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. We talked about this, too, last night, and Jeannie Ives said, parents pay for this. This is a private school. This is what they're getting. If they don't like it, they can pull their kids out. But the fact that it's still going on is just, just the coarsening of our society. No question. And it's perverted. I mean, if you see this video, he just seems so excited to talk about these anal sex toys. And it's disturbing. And what is additionally disturbing is all the adults involved in the school. Quiet. Have they fought back? No. Has anybody seen anything on social media we don't know about? Has anybody come to the local newspapers or their local affiliates to complain? This is who Francis Parker is. This is who the families that support Francis Parker are. I mean, I I hate to uh, um, suggest that there's no exceptions, that there's there's probably some on the faculty and staff that are not comfortable with this. There are probably some parents whose kids are at Francis Parker, uh, or maybe graduates as well, that are not comfortable with this. Oh, I talked but to you're some either, liberals you're either, yesterday who are not comfortable with this, Dan. They're mortified. And so? No, I showed it to people that I know <clears throat> are progressives and showed that to them. And I said, what's your reaction? And they said, that is absolutely disgusting. And I yeah. would never send my kid there. That's right. gross. Right. Uh, so what you're saying is they can't afford it. Um, he, so you're, it's two categories. 
It's people that are down with this depravity or people who are cowards. You get to choose. Which one are you? Francis Parker, uh, not the only thing going on at Francis Parker. They've got all kinds of stuff going on. Fox News uh, reporting on this. The students of color affinity groups meet once a month, uh, every level, because this is a pre-K through 12th grade institution. The students of color affinity groups open to all students, grades uh, pre-K through 5th, who self-identifies as a student of color and interested in participating. While the students of color affinity groups are only open to students of color, uh, through direct intentional programming within the curriculum in the lower and intermediate schools, all students have the opportunity to consider their own racial identity and how it plays into their greater sense of self. This is from the school's website. While white identity development is absolutely important to a child's development, we know there are a number of factors in the racial identity development process of young children of color that can benefit from direct programming in a way that differs from that of the honkies, white students. Uh-huh. Uh, Nikki... Neely, who we've had on the show, she's the founder of Parents Defending Education. Here was her reaction to the knowledge of, or to the the reporting about these students of color affinity groups, every level, pre-K through five, get them early, get them obsessing about their race early, getting them to see life through a racial prism early. Nikki Neely, segregating students by race at any age is immoral. But to do so to four-year-olds boggles the mind. Rather than teaching small, innocent children to be kind to all people, authority figures who these and their parents trust are instead teaching students to view all human interaction through the lens of color. Administrators at Francis Parker should be ashamed of themselves, and families should make their displeasure known so that this programming may end. Well, she doesn't understand who Francis Parker is. And uh, as we say on the individual level, we should say on the institutional level, When somebody shows you who they are repeatedly and without apology, believe them. Francis Parker is showing you. And everybody associated with that school. Believe them. Joe in Hoffman Estates. Hey, good morning. Um, Stuff like this really makes me sick, but I think what even makes me more sick is the fact we just had an election. And a very large majority of people uh, voted uh, for this type of stuff. I mean, it was plain. We were going to go one way or another, and we went the wrong way. So it doesn't say much for the American American people at all. It's nauseating. Thanks for the call, Joe. Isn't uh, Governor Spaulding's son at Francis Parker? No, he's at Latin. Oh, sorry. He's not at that school. Well, I don't. Well, you can't say he's at Latin. Who cares? Right, he's a, Who cares yeah, where he's, he's at school? Nobody just wanted to know where he's. I didn't know if he was at Francis Parker. No, he or never where attended he Francis Parker. Yeah, Pritzker's have an affiliation with the school, but it's well, not Jennifer Pritzker kid. graduated from there, and another yeah, Pritzker when he was graduated. Jim. right. Uh-huh. So to Anne Hayes, Brad Thor, David Mamet. I wonder yeah. what the a former alumni think. Yeah, I'd love to talk to David Mamet about Francis Parker. Uh, Rich in Indian Head Park. Yes, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Um, is there any pushback by the parents uh, what's going on in these schools? And the second thing is, is uh, Amy and Dan, when you were growing up, if you came home and told your parents that this was being shown in your school, oh. 
What do you think your parents would have done at that time? Oh, my dad would have. It seems like these parents nowadays are, are a different breed. seems like they don't really take a real interest in their, what's going on in the schools with their kids. No, you just, parents have to ask your kids, have that uncomfortable conversation. Just say, hey, what are you learning in sex ed right now? Who's teaching it? What are they showing you? Like, teenage boys love to talk to their moms about that. Trust me, yeah. they love And your hypothetical children will love it, too. Yeah, I my know mom, it's worth the conversation. My mom sat me down when I was about five to have the butt plug conversation. That you know every uh, every young man has to have with their yes. mom. Yeah, right. You know, it's just a rite of passage. Oh, it's a yeah, butt plug right. conversation. Yeah. You know it. It's time to have the conversation. Well, and I knew that meant butt plugs. Well, I knew that was the time. Since they're selling butt babies now, should we have that conversation? We should have a butt baby conversation because they yeah. come in three different colors. Well, there's no question. Hey, look, uh, it's queer sex all the time at Francis Parker, and they they love they are loving it, and it's great. And again, I mean, what you said, Jeannie, I've said, yeah, 40000 bucks a year. Uh, that's what you're choosing to spend your money on. That's how you're choosing to educate your kid. Great. Good luck. And good luck to your kids. Jordan in Antioch. Good morning. Um, you know, as much as I hate to get down to their level and, and, and get in there, but I think this is one of those times where, we need to direct the message and just like they would, because I can guarantee you if this were a Christian school or a Catholic school or a private conservative school and this got out and this were happening, the left, the, the, the mainstream media would be informing you and saying, you better check with your kids and make sure you're, you're not friends with any of these people because they're obviously not standing up for it. So these people are bigots and racist and, 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 and pedophiles. And I think the lack of, pushback from the parents of these of this school i think you need to steer the message and if you're acceptable with this you better make sure you know where your kids are going because these parents are okay with this you think, think you think, think if message. you think if this had happened at a catholic school the reaction from the press would be to attack the school mm, I don't. no no i think it, i think it would be to attack the, the entire well no. Yeah, I guess not at a Catholic school. It would be not at a Catholic, it, school. A Catholic school, private conservative school, you know, quote unquote conservative school. The the reaction would be hooray. Attack the parents. No, well, no, they no. would celebrate it. They wouldn't no. even cover it. Come on. They they would cover it. They would say finally this conservative school has seen the light. This is the the argument is over. The culture is okay, settled. Well, Everyone is embracing this. Love and tolerance has come to conservative school acts. This is wonderful. Well, that that's what they would be saying. If they, if we were teaching Christian beliefs and reading the Bible and re living by Scripture and owning fire, owning a firearm for self defense, then now now they would be saying you need to beware of where your parents are going. I just think as as on this side of the aisle, I think we just need to steer that message and put it back on them and say, look. This is what these people are stand for. So they, they everybody in the neighborhood, everybody in the community knows that that's what these people are. Put it back well, on them and let them feel some shame. Thanks for the culture. There is no shame to be felt. The, 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 the neighborhood knows what Francis Parker is. They know who is at Francis Parker. The, the, this is revelatory to outsiders, but not you know, within the enclave of Lincoln Park and even, you know, Chicago society circles. The story was on Fox News last night. We know. 
They know. It's just the criticism from outsiders because they're exposed as the barbarians that they are. And they don't like the scrutiny. They want to operate within their cloistered universe. But it, but but nobody is aghast, shocked, hardly, hardly. The dean of students, he couldn't have been more enthusiastic and carefree about what's going on at his behest in the school. And he has all the and money in the world to bring anyone in he wants. He can bring and, in drag queens, whatever. Couldn't he be trek with the the board of trustees? Why would I have to do that? I could do it as sort of a pro forma exercise, but all I get back is way to go. They know. Roger Southside. You're right. They do know. And I think the one thing, hey, do I think it's right? No, we know it's not right. But the same type of stuff, I think it's, it's, it's sectional in the city here. If that would have happened on the northwest side, or let's say in Mount Greenwood, big difference. But like you've been saying the last ten minutes, these people are paying how much there, or you know how much these people pay to set. You know, all kids that go to the Latin school are weird. Okay, you, <laughs> no, you, listen, no, they're not. You, let's, let's, you, Amy, you're not from Lakeview. You may, you may stay there now. You're not. I we have a wonderful relationship Let's with Latin. Stop. Latin okay. has nothing to do with this. You might, Francis Parker. Listen, the same stuff is going on with okay with with the stuff they're teaching in Bell, Hamilton. Okay, well, you every, know our conference. I, I I know more than you know. Okay, anyway, <laughs> Dan's Dan already okay. asked me to replace you, so don't worry about it. Yeah, Listen, right. okay, uh, all right, Roger, we yeah. got to go. We're up against it, but. <laughs> All the kids at Latin are weird. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, and we've got our second installment of the Twitter files, courtesy of Elon Musk. This time, the vehicle of delivery is Barry Weiss, former New York Times columnist, now the founder and editor of the Free Press. Her Substack, Common Sense, got turned into the Free Press, whatever. Um, the point here is uh, the content of the filings. This second installment, Twitter secret blacklists. 
And what was posted is probably going to be unsurprising to most people who follow this story and who know how Twitter operates or how it did operate under Jack uh, Dorsey and um, and, and the, the subsequent CEO. And you know the attitude of the Twitter minders and the minders on from these big tech social media platforms generally. They're left and they're censorious. But it's always good to get the details. It's always good to you know see and you know something's going on and you know what they're doing. But it's nice to have the evidence splayed out before you as it is in these uh, tweets that Barry Weiss relates to us. Yeah, and Elon Musk, I mean, he made a vow to be transparent about big tech's alleged political meddling, and he's living up to that. And, uh, you know, and the, to, to pull back the curtain in the interest of transparency and see how this works and the terminology that's used and who the decision makers were, it's important. For example, it led to uh, James Baker, the deputy general counsel at Twitter, former general counsel at FBI, being fired yep. from Twitter because of his role in suppressing the Hunter Biden story. And good. Good. And good for Elon Musk. Um uh, Barry Weiss starts out very much the same way that Matt Taibbi did at the first dump about the suppression of the Hunter Biden story before the 2020 election, reminding us who Twitter said they would be when it launched. Twitter once had a mission to get to, quote, give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. Along the way, barriers nevertheless were erected. Take, for example, friend of the show. Stanford's Dr. J. Bhattacharya, who argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Twitter secretly placed him on a trends blacklist, which prevented his tweets from trending. I mean, it's another way to suppress the dissemination of information. That's one example. Consider popular conservative talk show host Dan Bongino. He was slapped with a search blacklist. If you didn't have his handle and you tried to find it, you wouldn't get any results returned. Uh, Libs of TikTok was another one. Um, this is interesting. Um, what people, what many people call shadow banning, and this actually was the subject of congressional testimony, right. congressional hearings. Uh, Ted Cruz sort of was leading the the fight on this with respect to all the big tech companies. Remember when our friend Dennis Prager testified about what YouTube was doing to Prager University? Same sort of thing here. Uh, Barry Weiss tweet, what what uh, many people call, quote unquote, shadow banning. Twitter executives and employees called visibility filtering. <laughs> we're not we're not suppressing. We're not banning. We're filtering. Well, they we're filtering your visibility. They prevented disfavored tweets from trending. Well, right. So, yeah, we're filtering your visibility, meaning we're making your visibility no, no visibility. visibility. <laughs> um it used uh, uh, it, it used the filtering your visibility to block searches of individual users, to limit the scope of a particular tweet's discoverability, to block select users' posts from ever appearing on the trending page, and from inclusion in hashtag searches. And it, it, here's the key: all without the user's knowledge. So if you don't know what's happening, I mean, you 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 want to make an appeal to the company on the merits of whatever the reason was that they chose the visibility filtering for you but you can't cuz you don't even know they're doing it you just maybe you see a drop off in traffic and you say well so something's up here have i become less interesting or uh, my followers are no longer interested in, in 
commenting or engaging and so on and so forth. That could be. Or there's something else afoot, but you didn't know. Um, this is scary stuff. The um, yeah, this is this is this is interesting. There's a there was a secret group that included the head of legal policy and trust. This is the the attorney, uh, Vijaya Gaddy, the global head of trust and safety. We've talked about a couple times now in the last week. Yoel Roth, and subsequent CEOs Jack Dorsey and Parag uh, Agrawal. The, this is where the biggest, most politically sensitive decisions got made. Think high follower account, controversial. Another Twitter, Twitter employee told us, for, the, for these, there would be no ticket or anything. In other words, no trail. So think like, you know, banning Donald Trump would be probably the best example. Um, one of the accounts that rose to the level, in addition to Trump, uh, to this level of scrutiny, the secret group, was Libs of TikTok. Uh, an account that was on the trends blacklist and was designated as a do not take action on user without consulting with SIPPES. This is this secret group. This is the the site integrity policy policy escalation support. <laughs> I mean, this is this is so this. weird. And the label still like the do not amplify amplify search blacklist. I mean, they had a different. You know, category for each person. I, I love the, the silence. It's well, so I love the terminology. Weird. The terminology is something out of a uh, you know a dystopian movie. sci-fi yeah. novel. Exactly, something like uh, Ayn Rand would dream up, but it's real. Transgalactic um, is another one. Wow. The the interesting thing too about um, the uh, libs of TikTok because remember it repeatedly was suspended half a dozen times for quote unquote violating Twitter's policy against hateful conduct. And remember, all libs of TikTok does is Take post <laughs> leftists speaking in their own words. Right. Who posted online, you know, for public consumption. And okay. they don't edit it or doctor it in any way. They just take what the left has videotaped and put it out there. Yeah. You post a TikTok video and then uh, libs of TikTok picks it up and posts it as well. And <laughs> and that's hateful conduct. <laughs> You're, uh, I'm amplifying something somebody put into the public domain. That's hateful on me. Okay, sure. Um, well, interestingly, there was a memo from October of this year after Libs of TikTok's seventh suspension where the committee acknowledged that, quote, LTT, Libs of TikTok, has not directly engaged in behavior violative of the hateful conduct policy. But they justified her suspensions internally by claiming her posts encouraged online harassment of hospitals and medical providers by insinuating that gender affirming health care is equivalent to child abuse or grooming. Well, um, that may be a conclusion that some viewers of these videos came to. But again, reposting somebody else's uh, voluntarily offered up ravings and you're the one who is. But but even they admit and then they go on to come up with, you know, to bootstrap some other cockamamie justification to banner anyway. Um, the uh, in, an internal Slack messages, Twitter employees spoke of using technicalities to restrict the visibility of tweets and subjects. Uh, here's a, a message from uh, Yoel Roth, that global head of trust and in safety, in a direct message to a colleague in in 2021. A lot of times um, SI has used technica uh, 
technicality spam enforcements as a way to solve a problem created by safety under enforcing their policies, which, again, isn't a problem per se, but it keeps us from addressing the root cause of the issue, which is our safety policies need some attention. So if we couldn't get somebody who we disagree with uh, based on trust and safety violating hateful conduct policy, then we just say, oh, this is a a spam account and we'll – adjust their visibility based on that rationale rather than a substantive one. So, you know, they're getting around their own sort of rules of the road when it comes to moderating content. Um, And and then Barry Weiss just says, there's more to come on the story. uh, And um, she writes, we're just getting started on a reporting documents. Cannot tell the whole story here. Big thank you to everyone who has spoken to us so far. And she also uh, provides an opportunity for Twitter employees, current or former, to uh, send her information via, you know, a tip uh, email. So Good. hopefully you'll have more people coming forward, providing more information, and we'll just see, you know, all the warts. Uh, also, I guess Matt Taibbi is going to pick up this and continue to run with this series the twitter files because she tweets watch for, uh, matt watch matt taibbi for the next installment so there's more to come and there should be 312-642-5600 turnkey.pro answer line you can also reach us on our turnkey.pro text line 64636 type in da then a quick comment john in naperville you're on chicago's morning answer yeah i work in the car industry so i see patients from all demographics religious backgrounds you name it and when it comes to the truth and what's going on with gender reaffirming surgery, wokeism, all this other garbage, I have yet to meet somebody on also late term abortion. I have yet to meet somebody that actually supports these positions when it's truthfully told. It's got to be such a small minority that are pushing these idiotic agendas. I don't understand how they're getting away with it. Thanks for the call, John. Uh, Bob, Buffalo Grove. Good uh, morning, uh... Amy and uh, Dan, uh, always a pleasure talking to you. And Dan, I think you took, we must watch the same news programs last night. Um, um, Dan Bangino went ballistic on Hannity with regards to how he was censored. Um, this coming Sunday, I wonder if it's going to be again, uh, no news on uh, Meet the Press in, uh, this week. They're just ignoring the topic and uh, KJ, um, KJP will probably uh, ignore it. And finally, I follow uh, both of you and also a morning answer on Twitter. I'm wondering if you felt, if you've been impacted, if you have been shadow banned or censored with some of your posts. Uh, I was once I got my account got suspended for uh, me tweeting out uh, to watch Larry Elder's documentary, Uncle Tom. Really? Yeah. Because I used the phrase Uncle Tom, but that was the title of his documentary. And, um, so yeah, so I, I my they wouldn't uh, allow me to access my account until I removed that tweet promoting Larry Elder's documentary, which makes a lot of sense. And Justin you know, Hart said you're also shadow banned if you know there's replies and you have to hit the button that says show replies. He said that's the way that they're messing with you because normally oh, really? they would just pop up. Yeah, because I was showing he was at one of our freedom summits and I was showing him my Twitter and he said, oh yeah, they're watching you and that's a way to suppress the information. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, Tom in Deer Park. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. I, I don't like it one bit, but uh, they're a private company. 
They can do what they want. They're no different than NPR or Salem. NPR is not a private. Uh, excuse me, no. excuse me, Tom. As usual, you're confused. NPR is not a private company because it's taxpayer funded in part. Salem is a private. No, company. you're right. Twitter you're is right. a private company. Okay, go ahead. So, yeah. So is Fox. So is the New York Post. Right. So I just think as consumers, we ought to be aware of that and and take a wide variety of products and assume that whatever company you're reading is doing it because they're running a business. We're all capitalists, for crying out loud. I don't like it either, but that's the way it is. And to your credit, Dan, to your credit, I've heard a lot of right-wing commentators say it's a First Amendment issue and it's censorship. And to your credit, you've never said that, because at least you know what you're talking about. Thanks for the call, Tom. I mean, it's not a First Amendment issue, except except unless and until... You can provide evidence that conclusively shows, and Jonathan Turley's made this argument too, law professor George Washington, that the federal government is conspiring with these social media companies to do what they cannot do. So you're essentially working as these companies are working as agents of the federal government. And I got to tell you, the uh, statements made by Yoel Roth at Twitter about his interaction with government agencies in advance of the 2020 election and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the statements he made to Joe Rogan when he was on Joe Rogan's show about his meetings with federal law enforcement in advance of 2020 and them, as Byron York said in the Washington Examiner, sort of pre-bunking the Hunter Biden story. You know, that, that starts to raise a question. So on their own, all these policies, they don't they want to shadow ban me. They want to ban libs of TikTok, whatever. Right. That's not a First Amendment violation. But if you are serving as an agent of the state and you're doing the bidding of the state to silence, that is a different conversation about people's individual rights. Um, so I would just leave that. I just include that sort of yes, but exception, because I think we're not there yet. But um, again, the statements made by Zuckerberg and the statements made by Yoel Roth at Twitter certainly raise the specter of that issue. Uh, Mike in Plano. Hey, guys, I had my Twitter account uh, banned like four years ago. And, uh, you know, I can still go on there and look at stuff. I can't tweet, obviously. And uh, ended up working out for the better because that place can get very addicting. And after a while, you realize you end up fighting and arguing with people who, in the end, don't really matter. But um, the one thing that Twitter does is um, these uh, left-wing uh, blue check markers, especially I, I noticed this in the sports media. They like to over-inflate uh, their uh, accounts with bots, make them more uh, popular than they appear. Like, uh, you know... Like these uh, left, these uh, woke sports media personalities, for example. You know, a lot of these guys, they go on shows, they get, you know, speaking slots, some may even host shows, and they get propped up to be these uh, super popular guys. And when you look at their Twitter page, it may say, hey, they got uh, 50,000 followers. But when you look at their actual tweets themselves, you might see uh, uh, 10 likes, 5 retweets, and 2 comments. And the only time they get traction is if they decide to post something political because anything political on Twitter is going to get a response. And uh, they do get some uh, supporters on there that say amen, brother. But whenever they post something political, it's usually uh, the comments are usually against them. Thanks for the call, Mike. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. 
If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I have a question about uh, the Brittany Griner prisoner exchange. Yes. If it had been Rebecca Lobo instead of Brittany Griner, do you think the deal would have gotten done? In other words, is uh, the key here in making this deal, which compromises America's national security, the trade-off here. It's not that anybody doesn't want Brittany Griner out of a Russian prison camp and at home where she belongs. That's not the issue. The issue is you have to make a trade. There are trade-offs. There are opportunity costs. There are consequences. You have to make an assessment on the merits. If it was Rebecca Lobo, basketball, best basketball player in the world when she played, but as no, far she's as I, an analyst, right? straight white female, wouldn't have had much of an identitarian score, would the deal have been done by this administration, do you think? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro, text line. And here's why that question popped into my mind is because I'm, watching the commentary from the left on the deal. For example, Don Lamone and Obama suck toy Van Jones on CNN yesterday. If I, would be, I think I would be remiss if we did not mention also the importance this plays for the LGBTQ community. Yes, As we've been talking about black women, this is big. So this is for the LGBTQ community. Glad releasing a statement, obviously, just I'm summarizing here that they're happy and it shows the, the um, struggles and the danger that members of the LGBT community face around the world. But when you look at what is happening with the LGBT community specifically here um, in the United States, um, what does this say? Does, what, does this bring attention to that? And it shows us, hey, look, we're all Americans. Listen, uh, Brittany Griner represents everything in this country. Uh, she's female, she's LGBTQ, she's black, and she's extraordinary. She's excellent. She's overcome. She's, a, she's an icon. She's done everything you can do in her sport and more, and yet she still wasn't safe. She was snatched off of a plane and treated like like trash. And we didn't let it stand. Uh, Americans came together. And I think that Biden uh, and Kamala Harris, uh, this is one of the things that they're going to be, I think, the most proud of. Uh, I think Americans can stand together on this one. Uh, but where we say to right now, when she comes off that plane, when she walks off that plane, when her wife hugs her, when that moment happens, that is going to be decade-defining. People will remember that, and it should show us what we can do when we stand together. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 646-36DA, turnkey.pro text line. Are you moved by those inspired words of Van Jones? I mean, other than both Van Jones and Don Lamone leaving off the IA, LGBTQ. Where is the IA, I say? They should be reprimanded today for leaving that off. Let me give you another one. Offended somebody? Yes. Corinne Jean Pierre. She couldn't make an assessment in terms of whether Victor Boot poses a national security threat to America, um, but she, on a personal note, she wanted to comment on Brittany Griner's release. On a personal note, Brittany is more than an athlete, more than an Olympian. She is an important role model and inspiration to millions of Americans, particularly the LGBTQI plus Americans and women of color. 
she should never have been detained by Russia. Where's the A? You missed the A, KJP. LGBTQI. I mean, what's wrong with these people? Um, okay, well, so. She also missed the plus, too. And the plus. You're right. The IA and the plus missed by Don Lamone, Van Jones, and Quadruple Flat. They got to get it's with it. Sad. I mean... uh, so, what about that, though? Uh, so going back, I mean, there's a lot of focus on her identitarian score and the political statement and the political moment of her wife embracing her when she uh, arrived in Texas today and so on and so forth. That's what Van Jones and Don Lamone, even KJP, they're all focused on that, the moment, the importance, the LGBTQIA plus community, the uh, color of her skin. What about it? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in D A then a quick comment. I mean I was shocked when we were sitting here yesterday. I said, Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, what about Paul? Why are they leaving Paul behind? Paul apparently he he had his bags packed. He was ready to go. A a producer from CNN's State Department uh, bureau, she was able to get a phone call in with him. And uh he was understanding, but I, I think that, that what his statement was well prepared, don't you think so, Dan? When he what, talked about, you know, that he understands why they chose her yeah, over him. Well, well right. He, They've always considered me to be at a higher level um, than other criminals um, of my sort. Yeah, right. The, the the reporting, Kirby said the same thing, spy for spy, that, you know, they weren't going to deal Whalen for Griner. But, but Griner for Boot. Uh, why isn't Paul Whelan out? Why is Boot out? That's a question that's not being asked enough. Uh, I, I get it. You know, this is an administration that left uh, soldiers behind in Afghanistan and is now leaving a Marine behind in Russia. But uh, it is possible, and we have to acknowledge it's possible, and it is not irrational that the Russians wouldn't deal Whalen. He's on uh, espionage charges. He's talked about being treated differently in prison than even other Westerners, ostensibly from other countries, who are also in Russian prisons on trumped-up espionage charges. And so he's a higher value, and they want they uh, clearly have somebody else in mind for him here. And I don't know who that is, and there's not been a disclosure to that effect either. But Griner for boot... You know, uh, don't tell me who we didn't exchange. Tell me who we did. And make an assessment there. Because to me, in terms of America's larger national security interests, that is sort of on par. You know I don't like sports metaphors except when I use them. But that is like Nolan Ryan for Jim Fergosi. I don't think it's a good trade, in other words. Uh, Corey and Woodlawn, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. I did want to say this, that uh, this is what happens when you have presidents that do not serve in the military. He's completely disconnected from his primary job as commander-in-chief. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Corey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scooter, Southside. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, when she gets off that plane in Texas, is that where you said she was landing? Yep. She better get on her knees and kiss the ground before she kisses her wife. That's that's my thoughts. Well, 
Well, she better always stand for the national anthem from here on forward. If I we ever see her sitting down or taking a knee, that is a slap in the face to Paul Whelan as well, who they chose. If, they, if that's true, I mean, if she does display that kind of disgusting behavior. That that's going to be bad, and then people will be, you know, second guessing her commitment or her love for America. No. I, I be who you are. I mean, it's fine. Oh, you want to yeah. if you want to make a spectacle of yourself. If you want to embarrass yourself. If you want to display your ignorance, then go ahead and do it. That's what that's what living in a free society is all about. I don't. I mean, I, I'm I'm not really interested in Brittany Griner. I'm interested in um, my interests and the interests of other Americans as it pertains to their security interests. And again, it was a terrible thing that happened to Brittany Griner. We don't want her in prison. We don't want Americans wrongly imprisoned. Any American, whatever their political beliefs or religious beliefs, we don't want any American wrongly imprisoned anywhere. And our government should try to get them out. But the quality of the deal that our government makes should be scrutinized. And uh, that includes this one. And it's not getting scrutinized by the usual suspects because all they care about is identitarian politics, which is the point I'm making. And I think... The evidence provided by Don Lamone and Van Jones and KJP speaks to it. Cal in Mesa, Arizona. This is another recruiting video for the military. Is you serve your country, you put your life on the line, and we'll leave you as a hostage somewhere and we'll bring home because the identitarian politics wins every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for the call, Cal. It's a recruiting video for the Russians, for the Chinese. Uh, I'm sure it'll be interesting. I'm going to the uh, Army-Navy game in Philly tomorrow. Oh, you are? Nice. Yeah, it'll be interesting to hear uh, the scuttlebutt uh, among the enlisted about this. Mm-hmm. They're not uh, happy. Leave no man behind is not working. No. And Biden really didn't see me. He's like, oh, yeah, we'll stay on this. We're still in contact. You know, we tried. But then you hear, you know, other did did they really try? I mean, what kind of effort did they really make? Because they could only choose one. That's what Kirby said. We're going to only choose one. And they chose her. Well, the, he but didn't then you say, hear on different no. stations, different things. I mean, they're that's reporting. not what Kirby said. He didn't say we could only choose one. He said this was the only deal that was on the table. OK, there was not a choice to be made. It wasn't like you can either have Paul or you can have Brittany. No, the deal was we get boot and you get Griner. That's the only that's what they said. Well, they're not now, good deal makers because that's a very lopsided exchange. Well, I agree with that. Uh, John Logan Square. Hey, John. John and Logan yeah, Square. Hi, Dan. Okay, go ahead. Um, this is just Orwellian. Uh, it's obviously that some animals are more equal than others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the call, John. Uh, good Animal Farm reference. Too many 1984 references, not enough Animal Farm references. Derek New Lennox. Hi, uh, Dan. Uh, you're actually factually incorrect on, on the uh, there was no choice. Jordan Schachtel found NBC News previously reported that senior U.S. officials quoted it was an either or. It was either Griner or Whalen. And after yesterday, they went back and, and stealth edited the story. Well, uh, thanks for the call, Derek. I'm not factually incorrect because I don't know what the facts are, but I know what John Kirby said. And here's what he said. 
the, the deal that, uh, that we got with Ms. Greiner was the only deal we could get, and now was the only moment we could get it. Uh, so we took advantage of that to, to get one American home. But as the president said, we're going to stay focused on, on Mr. Whalen. Uh, this was not, as the president also said, some choice between the two. Is that, could you could Kirby be any clearer? Now, you can say, I don't believe him. Fine. But that's what he said. So don't tell me I'm factually incorrect when I'm reporting on what the spokesman for the National Security Council said. John Kirby who's had a long time in the Pentagon. And I got issues with John, Ker- John Kirby, and he's been doing a lot of lying for this administration. So I'm not saying you take him unqualified in an unqualified fashion at face value. But this is what is being said. And frankly, again, Paul Whelan said something of the same sort in the interview he granted CNN when he talked about, as you just heard, uh, being treated differently, like I'm on a different level. They don't they're not treating me the same in the prison. And he's there. They're not treating me the same as other people from the West that are accused of espionage. They're not treating me the same as other people held in Russian prisons on other charges like Brittany Griner for marijuana. So, as I said, it is plausible to believe that is accurate. I don't know, but this is the reporting, including from Paul Whelan. Sean and Darian. I think we're um, missing uh, a big point here. She broke a law in their country. Maybe she thinks that robbing and stealing uh, things out of the stores in here is okay in the United States. But in these other countries, it's not. And as far as I'm concerned, you leave a Marine behind for her? Are you kidding me? I never thought this country could fall this far that quick, and it's pathetic, and I'm disgusted. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Sean. Um, Micah Parsons, did you see this? Micah Parsons is my, you know, the best linebacker in the NFL, plays for the Cowboys. Uh, we left a Marine? Hell no. Uh, and then he retweeted Biden's tweet about uh, about Brittany Griner's release. We're still not voting for you. Wow. Um, although he says he's not a, you know, he's not a Trump supporter either, but he doesn't like Biden and he's got family who served and this is why he's upset. But it was interesting because he, he took some heat for going out and because, you know, he's a, here we go, identitarian politics. Oh my, my gosh, how could a black NFL football player not, you know, be celebrating unequivocally the Brittany Griner release? How can he be criticizing President Biden? Yeah, he must not be black. If you don't support Biden, you're not black, right? We know this. Um, so it was just interesting that uh, he got some attention and he clarified his remarks. But, um, yeah, huh? you know, there's an athlete with an opinion, too. Interesting. Uh, Kathy and Joliet, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning. Kathy, go ahead. Oh, hey, sorry, I didn't hear you. Um couple things. I think, you know, Trump released or negotiated the release of about 52 other uh, hostage slash detainees in other countries. Um, and Griner has been there for a while, while, I believe, while Trump has been, was president. So there must have been a reason why they uh, let her go and not uh, Paul, because if Trump couldn't get Paul out, there has to be another reason why they're holding him. Not saying he is uh, a spy, but there must be some other value to him that Russia's holding back. Because Griner, she's low-hanging fruit. Who cares? She plays basketball. If she didn't have, you know, a six-foot, nine-million frame on her, 
what would she be doing? You know, I doubt it's well, anything making money basketball. she's making. And just because you're tall doesn't mean you're going to be talented in basketball. No, but Griner was there for 10 months, so she was not there. She was on a Russian prison during Trump's term. Right. Um, and, yeah, Whalen's been there four years. So, right, I mean, that that's why I say there's reason to believe, based on uh, what Paul Whalen himself is saying, based on the fact he's been there four years, and based on just sort of what makes sense, that the Russians have somebody else in mind, somebody that uh, they— uh, that 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 is in an American prison who is a Russian spy or some other sort of Russian asset uh, or something else in mind that's bigger than Victor Boot. So it's probably yeah, pretty big. I think if President Trump was in office, he would have gotten them both back for Boot. He's a better you know, negotiator. I mean, he's used to it. He's a bombastic New York businessman. Come on. Well, that's an I mean, asset sometimes. <laughs> it was definitely a different relationship, wasn't it? Because uh, one thing we do know is that uh, Putin chose to wait until he was out of office to invade Ukraine. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Since uh, this is a day of unadulterated identitarian celebration, I just thought I'd add this into the mix. Sam Britton the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition at the Department of Energy's Office of Nuclear Energy. Okay, how do you even fit that on a business card? Okay, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Sam. Uh, right, he's uh, the dude that uh, made headlines when he got this job because he's a bald guy with a mustache who walks around in a dress with lipstick on and so on and so oh, wait, forth. Wait, is he the one that stole that expensive handbag from the Minneapolis airport? Uh, yes, he Not is handbag, a, a suitcase. He's facing uh, felony uh, charges in Minneapolis on stealing a woman's luggage. Right. Yeah, yeah it, it's a, a very a designer suitcase that's worth about three thousand dollars. Yeah, and he knew that. I wouldn't even know that, but he's more into the womanhood than I am, I guess, and decided to take what wasn't his. Right. Said uh, he accidentally took it, oh, uh, even though he didn't check any luggage on that flight. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, he is um, facing an, uh, another felony theft charge, this time in Vegas, for doing the same thing. What? Didn't he learn his lesson? Charged with grand larceny value between $1,200 and $5,000. Um, stole luggage from another traveler at Harry Reid International Airport, uh. according to uh, reporting out there. Uh, you, you remember, too, I mean, just a little bit more color on Sam here. Um, he also goes by the name Sister Ray D. O. Active. Mm-hmm. He enjoys pup play. Oh, that's right. I saw that video. Yeah. That was really yeah. Funny. Him. Bestiality, he was. That's sweet. I mean, uh, well, pup well, play with pup play. men. Men. Right. Um, he uh, taught Kink One Hundred and One workshops on college campuses. Maybe, maybe oh. if he gets bounced from the Department of Energy, maybe Francis Parker will hire him. Him and huh. Josh or Jason will be great friends. Well, just thinking about an official that is in the nuclear space at the Department of Energy, that, that has some national security uh, implications. And so I was just thinking about that in context and this identitarian well, situation I, with Sam. I was thinking about it in context with uh, 
the Brittany Griner for Victor Boot exchange because uh, their national security implications with the release, you know, for the United States with the release of the most notorious illegal arms trafficker in the world. Uh, that was a question that was put to Karine Jean-Pierre, and um, she struggled with it. The question is, and the question has been uh, um, uh, placed to us, is do we have security concerns, right? Uh, and what we have said is that the president uh, did not make this decision lightly. I uh, just want to make that very clear. But he believed this was the right thing uh, to do to secure Britney's uh, release. And we are always going to stay vigilant. Uh, that is something, when it comes to our national security, that is something that the president uh, and his administration will do, and we will sif swiftly act uh, to protect it, to protect our national security. Uh, and that is true yesterday, that is true today, and that will be true after Mr. Uh, Boots' release. So that is a commitment that the president has made. I'm not the intelligence committee here, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, so I'm not going to get into no, any intelligence uh, about that particular individual. What I can right, of course, because uh, just all you need to know is that national security is real important to us. <laughs> <Don't, Yeah. laughs> let's talk about individual Because it's in decisions. the binder, and I have to read that. Yeah. Uh, National security is very important. This just in, President Biden has committed to making national security important. That's the headline from Corrine Jean-Pierre's response. Uh, the For way more they on market this, this presidency is amazing. More on this. Please be joined by David Marcus, columnist who lives in New York City, author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. David, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Am, am I the only one who's a little worried about what's showing up with our nuclear waste right now? <laughs> I mean, like, you know. the suitcases and the like, like, where's the nuclear waste go? I don't know. I sometimes I get paranoid. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe he's smuggling it out in those suitcases he's stealing. Oh, that's I, right. I I, I I don't know. Um, it's it's all very confusing to me. So, um, on the uh, the Brittany Griner matter, um, you know, you wrote a book about COVID, and and I mentioned this yesterday when the news first broke. It's like the 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 reaction. Uh, and what you heard then subsequently all day yesterday from the left and from the Biden administration, this uh, it, it reminds me very much of covid. We're doing something important. There is a good here. So it doesn't matter what the cost is. We don't we don't make decisions based on assessments of the trade offs. We just say this is good and it doesn't matter. So, if it, you know, this is like you buy a Honda Accord, you pay sticker. OK, you pay a Honda Accord and you pay one hundred twenty five grand. Maybe that's not it wasn't such a great deal. And this that sort of assessment doesn't happen in this country with, uh, I don't know, about half of it right now. This trade reminded me of back in the 90s when the Cowboys sent Herschel Walker to the Minnesota Vikings yeah. for like 9,000 of the 10,000 lakes in Minnesota. And, you know, it didn't work out. It was, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a lopsided trade. It's a tough spot, right? I mean, we all wanted Griner to come home. We all want Whalen to come home. Clearly, the Russians were playing games with this. But you're absolutely right about having to look at the unintended consequences, which we didn't do with COVID. And which Jean-Pierre was just not willing to be straight up about yesterday. Not only are we sending this, you know, deadly arms merchant back into the killing game, this is going to make it more dangerous for Americans who travel abroad. I mean, oh, yeah. every petty dictator in the world now knows that if they just abscond with an American citizen, 
they've got a bargaining chip and, and they can get whatever they want from Joe Biden. So, yeah, look, Americans made a sacrifice to, to get her back. And, and I think that's got to be acknowledged. Yeah, because Paul Whelan said he was kidnapped because he was an American tourist, that he was there on Russian soil. And that's why they took him into custody. But back to yesterday. could So I've heard two things. I first heard that Biden could only pick one of the two. Then Kirby said, no, Paul Whelan was never an option. Do you believe Kirby? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've heard some analysis that the, the, the sticking point was the fact that, you know, Griner was, was imprisoned on a drug charge and with Whelan, it's alleged espionage, right? So maybe the, the, the Russians will only trade him for another spy. I don't know. I don't know that, that we'll ever know these negotiations happen uh, so deeply in the weeds. But, you know, the upshot for Biden is clearly that the more famous person was released. It's, it's a bigger story. Um, it's a celebrity. So I, I think whether it was Biden's choice or not, this accrues to his advantage and, and sadly to the disadvantage of, of Waylon and his family. Um, what do you think, too? I mean, since he was a part of the administration, what do you think uh, the Bo Bergdahl for Taliban terrorists uh, exchange? How did that factor into Putin's understanding of what he could get from Biden? Look, I, I, I mean, Biden's, Biden might need to buy a copy of The Art of the Deal, right? I mean, Obama clearly needed to. It was, throughout Obama's presidency, and, and you see some of it with Joe Biden as well, Obama was really famous for negotiating with himself, right? Like Obama thought that he was so smart that he'd come to the negotiation and say, I've figured out both sides already. And the people he was negotiating with would say, OK, that's great. We're going to consider this your first offer. That happened time and again. It, it happened with with that, uh, with the Bergdahl, uh, uh, with the Bergdahl trade, which, which was also a terrible deal. And, yeah, I, look, I, I think our foreign adversaries sense that Joe Biden and the Democrats can be rolled and, and they're taking advantage. Now, now just on, on on Paul Whelan, I know we're talking about him as a, as a Marine and uh, a contractor, he was a contractor for Borg Warner, which was is an you know automotive parts manufacturer. Um, but you know his service in the Marine Corps was not without controversy. He he was a, a court-martialed and convicted in January of '08 on counts related to larceny, sentenced to a 60-day restriction, reduction in pay grade, and bad conduct discharge. Um, attempted larceny, three specifications of dereliction of duty, making a false statement. So, um, I, you know, not that this should factor into if a, a, an American wrongly imprisoned in a foreign country, we should get them all out. I don't care about their politics. I don't care about their religion. I don't care about, you know, th those other, the, the, you know, incidents in their past. But, I mean, I also don't want to overstate uh, Paul Whelan's um, service to the country, if you will. Right. Um, you know, the, as you said, the, the issue is if there's if there are people wrongly imprisoned uh, across the world, American citizens, we need to, to try to secure their release, especially, you know, it, it's one thing if you get busted in Japan for smoking a joint and you've broken Japanese law and, you know, you pay the price or something in situations like this where American citizens are clearly being used as diplomatic pawns. Right. Um, 
that that has to be dealt with, as you say, regardless of the background of the individual, because that's an assault on every American, right? That's every time that we grab our passports and jump on a plane someplace, putting us at risk um, of being the next pole whale. I mean, I, I wouldn't go to Russia right now. No. Right, right. It's going to destroy um, their tourism industry. I wanted to get to uh, another piece that you wrote, because I know you take particular interest in this, and that's uh, the ongoing release of the Twitter files, uh, first through Matt Taibbi uh, by Elon Musk, and uh, then yesterday through Barry Weiss. Uh, Part one about the Hunter, uh, the the suppression of the post-Hunter Biden story. Part two about the suppression of individual accounts uh, of high-profile conservatives, basically. Um, how much value do you think Elon Musk is providing by uh, these uh, uh, these transparent uh, these these disclosures in the interest of transparency? An incredible amount of value, and I think the one question that we've had for several years now there is one question that we've had for several years now that has been answered. Right for two years, the, the big tech companies, Facebook, Twitter, all of them have admitted and acknowledged that there is a bias against conservatives. What we didn't know was how that was happening, right? Was it an accident of the algorithm? Did it have to do with the fact that liberals were more likely to report on conservatives than the other way around? Or, as many of us suspected, was it that you know 27-year-olds with purple hair and pronouns in their bios mm-hmm. were just making these decisions? And now we know. That, that that's exactly what it is. This is not, this isn't a technical problem, right? This is just Twitter hiring people with blatant bias who then used that bias to, to suppress all kinds of speech that they didn't like. And that's a really important revelation. David Marcus, columnist living in New York City, author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation. David, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey that pro answer line. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, I want to pick up on a conversation we were having with uh, David Marcus about uh, Elon Musk and the impact of the Twitter files and and everything Musk is doing at Twitter. Uh, I think it is of of great value, and it it extends beyond Twitter. Now, maybe this is too grandiose, and we want to get our next guest's reaction to this. But could Elon, what Elon Musk is doing at Twitter, have a chilling effect on other social media companies and big tech companies like Facebook, like Google, as well as on law enforcement agencies like FBI from attempting to influence elections in this country the way they have the last three. Is that too much hope? Is that too much of a burden to put on Elon Musk? Well, let's ask somebody with perspective on this issue and many others. Bill O'Reilly is the host of the No Spin News program, weeknights, 5 p.m. Chicago time, BillOReilly.com. He's also the best-selling author of his latest in the Killing series, Killing the Legends, The Lethal Danger of Celebrity, perfect stocking stuffer for the holidays. Bill O'Reilly, thanks so much for joining us again. Appreciate it. 
How are you guys doing out there? Good. So what do you think about the impact Elon Musk is having and, and could yet have in advance of 24? Sure. I wrote a column. It's posted right now. Anybody can read it on BillOReilly.com. And the column's entitled, Elon Musk Shakes It Up. Yeah. Like the old Beatles song, Shake It Up, Baby. Um, because now um, the uh, House Oversight Committee, um, maybe Judiciary, will get involved with uh, investigating Twitter formally. And uh, certainly the FBI will be hauled into that. So going forward, obviously, people watching this going, I, don't, I really don't want to be up there in Washington under oath, you know, telling people I tried to fix an election. That, I don't know if that's a good career path. So, and, you know, Musk is a, uh, it's, he, you know, the word I guess they use is influencer now. He's way beyond that. He just blew the whole thing up, which is good. I mean, I don't know any American, no matter what political view you hold, that wants secret uh, federal agencies trying to influence elections. I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I said the other day he's taken. You'll remember this. Uh, he's taken Ronald Reagan's. I paid for. I'm paying for this microphone, Mr. Green, to the next level, hasn't he? I paid for this platform, and this is how it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, Musk. Get, you know, money buys power in America. I, I, I tell people all the time: if you live paycheck to paycheck, I mean, you are going to be in major trouble. Not a matter of uh, if, it's when, because you've got to have the ability to defend yourself um, and with a guy like Musk having uh, billions of dollars at his disposal, he can not only defend himself, but he can go into areas and just blow the whole thing to pieces, which is done with Twitter. Now, Bill, last year you went on tour with President Trump. You had a number of stops, and uh, I was wondering what your thoughts are on him announcing that he's going to run for president and also, you know, not the dinner, I, you know, we're, I don't want to talk about that, but his reaction saying, you know, reaction to the Twitter files saying that, you know, the Constitution should be, you know, set aside and all rules should yeah. be off the table. Have you talked to him? What are your thoughts about what he said? And have you talked to him about talked it? to him about before all this uh, latest controversy wave. Um, he doesn't want to talk to me about that because <laughs> I go, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> so Donald Trump is a victim of what I write about in Killing the Legends the lethal danger of celebrity. For him, it hasn't been lethal, but certainly he's been overwhelmed by his celebrity. I mean, absolutely overwhelmed by it. And now he lives in his own world. And I don't know if there's anybody else that's got, you know, entree to that world. I, I really don't know if there's anybody that he listens to. And if you read Killing the Legends, you'll see the three that I write about, Presley, Lennon, and Muhammad Ali, there wasn't anybody that could take those guys and say, hey, you're really on the path to destruction and you got to get off it. I think Trump's exactly in that same spot. So Ivanka can't even doing... help him? Who? Ivanka, his daughter. Nah, she doesn't want anything to do with it. Um, because it gets crazy. And um, Trump likes craziness to some extent. And in the past, it's helped him. But now it's a different world because he's a former president. He's not some uh, bon vivant running for president uh, with no experience, and he's blowing up the swamp like Elon Musk is blowing up the social media. Very similar, by the way, what the two did. Uh, now he should be a statesman. Instead, 
you know, he's uh, having supper with uh, neo-Nazis. I mean, I don't really understand that. I mean, so, just so, step back, step back for one second. Did he get one vote? Even if Kanye was did, wasn't peddling anti-Semitic stuff, and the other guy, I don't, wasn't a crazy guy. Would he get one vote? Would one good thing happen for him dining with them? And the answer is no. There was no upside for Trump. Well, and, and so he, it's interesting the, um, the the connection you make to the the lethal danger of celebrity and, and your uh, your latest book, Killing the Legends, because it does seem like he's turning into Charles Foster Kane a bit, and he's holed up in his Kublai Khan called Mar-a-Lago, and 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 the the dinner speaks to that not because of the attendees but because how would you ever be in a position to have dinner with somebody like uh, the the guy that nick uh, that uh, kanye brought along and and then say after the dinner i didn't know who that was i i had no idea so so things aren't being vetted or you're lying either way it's just a mess it doesn't it doesn't inspire much confidence no, and I love the Citizen Kane reference. Kublai Khan, um, he's the grandson of, of Genghis, I believe. Not, No, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, I love literate radio. It's great. You know? um, so, right. yeah, I mean, you got you figure that the guy, anybody going into Mar-a-Lago is vetted because the Secret Service guards all the gates, and you drive up, and they have a, a, a clipboard, and they're looking at you. Uh, are you this person? Yes. So they know it's coming. And then usually the way it goes is in former president staffs vet everybody. Everybody. But I don't think Trump's got that down there. I could be wrong on it, but I mean, can't, I can't imagine because I know him so well that, Mr. President, um, uh, some Nazi guys coming in uh, for hors d'oeuvres said, okay. You want him to sit here or there? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, what? So I, I believe that he's isolated now to an extent that is harming him and certainly um, his aspirations. Yeah, and, and I mean, part of the problem, it seems to me, uh, over the course of the last six years with his uh, first run and presidency and then subsequent, I mean, there's, there's a, lot, a lot of times he hasn't had the most talented people I've ever seen around him when he has had Hard to work for uh, Donald Trump because it's a... Um, you know, he, he's mercurial. But when he was in the White House, he had really good guys. I mean, Larry Kudlow is as smart oh, an yeah. economist as you yes, can get. Yes, for sure. And Barr, I know they fell out, but Barr was a good attorney general. Yep. Pompeo was an excellent secretary of state. Yep. Excellent. So while he was there, um, he had a good staff. But then afterward, you know, people put their finger up to the wind. Is it worth my – now he's radioactive. I mean, <laughs> you get a job with Trump. He, hey, I'm working with Donald Trump. Ah! You know, <laughs> so you don't think things. he should run for president? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think it's up to him. Uh, he's got a uh, – still has a firm base. I think about 40% of the Republican people are MAGA people. Um, I would never say he shouldn't run. I, I think he should course correct for his own um, well-being, and it, certainly if he wants to be reelected. What are the uh, what's your reaction to you? You know, everybody playing sort of fantasy politics and the idea of a Trump DeSantis ticket. I you know about six months ago I thought it was realistic, but now I think DeSantis would say no. 
Yeah. I think DeSantis thinks he can beat Trump outright. And you have no doubt that DeSantis is going to get into you? Well, it just depends on um, if Trump can make a comeback. See, DeSantis is at a disadvantage because he can't really do much in the next year. He's got to govern Florida. They just reelected him. He can't be running around a country ignoring his state. So he can't declare, like, in January, I'm of a president. That would really uh, not look good for his constituents. Um, so Trump can do whatever he wants. He can run around and say and do, and he is, and he's getting deeper and deeper. So DeSantis going, okay, I just let Trump kill himself in the next year, see where we are in maybe October 23, and then decide. I know that's what the calculation is. What about on the other side, um, you know, all the uh, protestations that Biden is preparing a re-election run notwithstanding? Um, you know, deceit is now at the highest level that I've ever seen in my lifetime um, in the political quarters on both sides. And this is just deceit. Everybody knows Biden can't run again. He, he literally can't run again, physically not going to be able to run. But they can't say that because then it weakens Biden. He becomes a lame duck. And um, the Democrats don't have a logical successor. He can't run Kamala. I mean, it's a disaster. Um, so they say, oh, yeah, uh, it looks like he's going to go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, everybody knows he just can't. The guy, if you watch him just walk, if you watch his gait, I mean, he's going to be lucky to make the next two years. He is Bill O'Reilly, host of No Spin News, weeknights, 5 p.m. Chicago time. BillOReilly.com, author, best-selling author, his latest in the Killing series, Killing the Legends, The Lethal Danger of Celebrity. Pick it up for the holidays. Bill O'Reilly, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Hey, you guys. I hope you enjoy the seasons. Thanks for having me in. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Always welcome back. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. What is the vision economically of the Republican Party? We know what the Democrat socialists want to do. It's implicit in the term Democrat socialist. They want to make us a European welfare state, and they're well on their way. But what are the Republicans going to offer in the alternative, particularly with a majority in the House? Um, in part, I think the answer was provided by Tom Cotton recently when he was querying Rodney McMullen, the CEO of Kroger about this $26 billion merger Kroger wants to do with Albertsons. And they're looking for support from Republicans on the Hill. Listen to uh, what Tom Cotton had to say to Rodney McMullen. This situation reminds me a little bit of the situation big tech companies have found themselves in in recent years. They've come to Washington because they fear regulation from our Democratic friends or action by the Biden administration. And they expect Republicans who are traditionally more supportive of free enterprise to come to their defense. And I've cautioned them for years that if they silence uh, conservatives and center-right 
uh, voters across the country, if they discriminate against them in their company, they probably shouldn't come and ask Republican senators to carry the water for them whenever our Democratic friends want to regulate them or block their mergers. So I've heard a a lot of questioning about that today, and I've read a lot about it in the news, um, and I'll say this. I'm sorry that's happening to you. Best of luck. <laughs> to get reactions to that moment, please be joined by Sam Gregg. He's an economic analyst and distinguished fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research. His book, The Next American Economy, Nation, State, and Markets in an Uncertain World. Sam, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Dan and Amy, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, what about that? Uh, you know, Kroger is seeking protection from the the trust busters in the Justice Department, and uh, Tom Cotton said, "Yeah, well, you know, however it plays out, it plays out. But don't look for us to provide aid and comfort because we might agree with you on the substance of the matter in terms of the merger of these two grocery store giants, uh, because you know you're part of the cultural problem." Uh, at Kroger, and he was going, and he went for some time with Rodney McMullen over some instances of oppressive corporate culture and lack of respect for certain views and the promotion of other political views inside Kroger, such that they lost a religious discrimination suit. Um, but what about that? As as hey, you know, this this sort of on again, off again, rent seeking behavior. This isn't part of the vision for this Republican and this Republican Party. Well, thanks, Dan. It's, I think you're pointing to, and what Senator Cotton is pointing to, is a real problem in corporate America now, right? So let's face it, so much of corporate America has embraced woke agendas, whether it's ESG, DEI, or whatever happens to be the standard thing you're hearing in a lot of business schools now about what they think the priorities of business should be. And there's no doubt that there's a certain degree of Let's call it wokeness that's made its way into corporate America and they've decided they want to play that game. But then, of course, when they run into the, the buzzsaw of increased regulation coming from the left, they're sort of caught, right, because their traditional allies, the traditional party that has more or less, just certainly more than the Democrats, upheld a sort of pro-market position, etc., and has said, you know, you should let these things play out in the marketplace. Um, they, 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 a lot of business groups are now finding that, oh, I guess that all that activism we did um, in favor of any number of political causes <clears throat> is meant that we've alienated the group that, is, that at least traditionally was there to promote markets and capitalism and uh, a dynamic commercial sector. So the, the business community have ho- hoist themselves on their own petard in this regard. You know, I have, I'm very pro-market. I think that you know, antitrust things tend to be uh, weapons that are used by different groups against competitors. Um, mergers, I think, usually produce a lot of efficiencies in the economy, etc. So, but you know, it's, it, business groups can't expect to play this double game by sort of cozying up to the left to the left's woke agenda, and then expecting that uh, conservatives are going to say, oh, "Okay, that's that's fine. Don't worry about that." will still protect you from um, regulatory agencies. So it points, I think, to a problem for conservatives that conservatives have been grappling with for quite some time, the fact that so much of corporate America has gone left, has gone woke. Um, but corporate America now finds itself um, caught in a, in a situation very much of its own 
making. And of course, the people who lose out are consumers, <laughs> Every, every everyday Americans who are the ones that business is supposed to serve. Uh, but with business putting itself in this position where they're now caught in this um, crossfire between right and left over any number of social and cultural issues, uh, they're, they're paying a price. And, and frankly, um, it's their own doing. Yeah, it seems to me that um, some conservatives are now learning that you have to impose a cost. That, I mean, it's, it's, it's fine to stand on principle, and, and you should stand on principle. This should be the basis, I believe, in free minds and free markets. But for those who don't and then want me to rally to their defense when, as you say, they hoist themselves on their own petard, well, I'm just not going to be there for you. And to the extent that we have, we can exercise some of our own economic power, we will. And we've seen that with states like Florida and Louisiana, who are divesting uh, pension funds from BlackRock right. because of this whole ESG silliness. And um, and that's having an impact. Now, Vanguard funds is uh, walking away from embracing ESG. So, you know, I mean, to some extent, you have to be willing to impose a cost on those on again, off again, uh, free marketeers uh, in corporate America. Yeah, that's no, I, I mean, I think we're sort of getting to that position and I, I don't like it because I don't like politicians sort of imposing political costs because you don't do what they want you to do. I mean, right. I think, you know, in principle, I think that's problematic because then you get into that whole tit for tat game and that never, that never ends. But it seems to me that part of the problem here we're pointing to, and I talk about this in my book, The Next American Economy, is that there's so many people in, in, in corporate America and in the business world who are really actually quite uncomfortable with what they do on a daily basis, which is supposed to be the pursuit of profit and delivery of shareholder value. And they think they need to sort of supplement that with involvement and, pro and promotion of any number of progressive and woke causes. And... To my mind, well, what we're seeing now is a reflection of that deeper crisis of confidence that is so, so um, everywhere in so much of business America. And they're just not, in many cases, they're just not very good at defending the basics of what they do. And so they, they sort of revert to this progressive staff, to this woke staff who's trying to show that somehow they're good people. So that's the deeper problem, I think, yeah. that a lot of business yeah, and, I mean, has. Yeah, I mean, and, and Rodney McMullen, when he talked about what Kroger does, he says, you know, our mission is to feed the human spirit. You know, that, that's the sort of like sentimental schlock right. that right. just that, that is it's so disingenuous. And it does. It's 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 like social media companies that um, that don't really believe in a free exchange of ideas. You know, these platforms, we're here to have robust and make this a the public's the virtual public's or the uh, the digital public square in the 21st century, but you actually don't really believe in free speech and an exchange of ideas. And it's sort of the same thing with CEOs and other corporate titans who don't actually believe in free markets. They believe in personal enrichment. Um, right. They believe in the status. And, and then they parrot this can't they hear from the political world to sort of, um, you know, keep criticism at bay. Yeah, and what they should be doing is saying things like, we are here to deliver a profit, to produce shareholder value, and to deliver goods and services that consumers want. And you know what? That's a good thing in itself. And they were just much more explicit about that and to be willing to stand up to the progressives and woke types and say, 
you know, you have your politics, you have your cultural agendas, but that's not part of our work. That's not central to what we do. Now, but, uh, so it's, it's, it's partly what, you're describe, what, what we're talking about, this lack of confidence in what business actually does, what it should be doing, and so they, they revert to this sort of sentimental humanitarian silliness when they talk about what they do. But here's the other problem. The other problem, I think, is what we're seeing is very much a reflection of what's being taught in a lot of business schools now. Um, the Wall Street Journal and other, and the New York Times of all places have been covering this pretty closely and talking about how in business schools, this type of rhetoric about um, these progressive ideas and, and woke rhetoric about what business should be doing, etc., has made its way now into you know, business schools like Harvard Business School. And you, you look and you say, well, if lots of business executives are going and studying in these places and they're hearing these ideas from elite business school professors, then we have a serious problem because these people, whether we like it or not, exert enormous influence on the formation of business executives. So it goes beyond the business community per se as I point out in my book, this stuff is everywhere in most business schools now. Remember, business schools used to be seen as a sort of citadel of um, fiscal conservatism within universities once upon a time. Not anymore. Not anymore by any stretch. And so you have a lot of these sort of social justice type people uh, going into the business world now. And we shouldn't be surprised that they're willing to say, well, profit's fine, but in the end, we're going to put some of these emphasis on other things. Now, I think the good news is something you pointed out, that some businesses, particularly some of these big funds, are starting to realize that they're paying a price now for their woke activism. Uh, BlackRock has certainly taken some significant hits, and Larry, that's, frankly, all to do with Larry Fink and his rhetoric and the way that he talks about stakeholder capitalism and the way that his outfit has embraced ESG and DEI. But then you have outfits like Vanguard who are clearly saying, okay, <laughs> we realize we've made some serious mistakes, so we need to extradite ourselves from this as soon as possible. And that's what I say to business people who talk to me about this or who ask me questions about the way I talk about it in my book. I say, the best thing you can do is just to extract yourself from this situation as soon as possible. Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself smack bang in these political fights about cultural and social issues and you can't, but on, you can only lose in the long term if you get yourself involved in those things. Do you think it'll ever yeah, change? You know, that's a good question, Amy, because I often say um, a lot of business people are not particularly pro-market. I mean, Milton Friedman used to talk about this. He would say that the, the two biggest groups he found that were most damaging to the cause of markets were Firstly, intellectuals, right? Well, of course, right? We know that. That's, that's just to be a given. But he said the second group were business people. And he said that they have this tendency to, to go to the government for favors. They want regulatory environment, environments that favor their particular business but make it difficult for other people. They like subsidies. They like the types of things that governments can give them. And when you have a sort of a, a progressive type of culture in place, then to a certain extent, they will business people will play this game from a sort of very cynical perspective because they think that's what they need to do to get along if they want to get that subsidy from Congress or if they want to get that support for a particular regulation that they think will benefit them. So I think 
will this ever go away? I think there's always going to be business people out there who try and find ways to get privileges from the government. And at the moment, at least uh, given the current complexion of, say, uh, Washington, D.C., for the most part, although that's about to change somewhat, um, they'll play this game. So it could be a different yeah. type of administration in the future, right? And some of them will still play this game. So I think our job, those of us who believes in, believe in markets, is to hold their feet to the fire and say, you're business people. You should not be in the business of running off to the government for subsidies and regulation. Why don't you try living in free markets for a change? And that's one of the things I advocate in my book, The Next American Economy. I say we need to be telling business people to be serious about markets and stop looking to government for favors. But it's tough when uh, the federal government is doling out $4 trillion worth of goodies every year. And it Precise. seems to me that, that, that the only way you're going to see the trajectory of the American economy change if the, there's some sort of exogenous shock that uh, cripples government's ability to uh, be this provider of goodies. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because in my book, I talk about sorts of different scenarios that could play out with regard to this. And one of the things I suggest is that we could get to the point, and I think we might be starting to get to the point now, whereby the capacity of the federal government and state governments and local governments to offer the sorts of things, the sorts of privileges, the sorts of subsidies, the sorts of tariffs and protectionism and all that stuff, uh, their capacity to do that on the scale that they've been able to do it in the past is getting less. They're just simply running out of resources to be able to do this. Now, we've seen uh, certainly over the past uh, two years that certainly the Biden administration has upped the game in that, that respect, right? They're all into that type of thing. But that's coming at a pretty big cost when it comes to things like inflation, which people's patience starts to run out with pretty quickly, uh, but also the levels of public debt that we're starting to endure. So I, I, I tend to think that uh, at some point, the capacity of the government to deliver on its end of the crony bargain is going to get harder and harder and harder. And that will mean the incentives will shift away. And there will be, I think, hopefully, there'll be some people on the right who will say, we, need, we also need to stop playing this game. Because as you know, there are plenty of Republicans also play this crony game with the business community. So I think part of the agenda for those of us who believe in fisc or fiscally conservative, who believe in free markets, is to make the case that being pro-market and being pro-business are completely different things. Yes, is Sam Gregg, economic analyst and distinguished fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research. The book, The Next American Economy, Nation, State, and Markets in an Uncertain World. Sam, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Dan and Abby, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. Open mic. Open mic Friday. Call it now. Out of the morning, Dan and Amy. Yes, that time of the week, Open Mic Friday, taking your calls, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Concerns, compliments, criticisms, general correct pottery, we'll take it all. Uh, if 
the lines are busy. Just keep trying. We'll try and get through as many as possible before we get to the phone lines. Amy, you had something? Well, I have two things. No, I have 17 things. No, two things. I want to thank everybody who showed up last night for our event, Uncorked Conversations. Jeannie Ives was there, uh, Stephanie Trussell, the three of us, and we talked about the issues that are going to be pertinent in 2023 and what women could do to try and make a difference. So we talked about, you know, run for school board, start there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a wonderful turnout. It was a sold-out event. And Bishop Hills Winery in Joliet, if you need a place to have a gathering, just meet with some girlfriends or even you guys, too, it is a wonderful location. It is a cozy setting. It's decorated with all the Christmas lights, and the wine is spectacular. So if you want to have some hors d'oeuvres and, and hang out with a group of friends, that's the place to do it. Also, want to thank the range at 355 for being our key sponsors, and we're going to work on, on an event where we can go shooting. And, Dan, we want to take you with when that happens. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. All right, we'll look forward to that. And, and one more thing. I, I know you don't like mainstream media, but Headline News, they cut ties with everybody. No more live programming. And my really good friend, Robin Mead, said goodbye to everybody. And I know how you love these goodbyes, but this was 21 years. They've, she's been on the show for 21 years, and her signature, signature is always uh, morning sunshine. Because of budget cuts and a changing industry, HLN is no longer producing its own live news. It means that our news shows are ending. In its place, you're going to see a simulcast of CNN's morning show. It means that we leave you in the stellar hands of our corporate cousins who are incredible journalists. You know, I've heard that you mourn something when it passes, either because you feel guilty for leaving something unresolved, or you mourn because you truly appreciate something for what it was. The emotions this morning are of appreciation for you and for this 21-year run. You will always be my morning sunshine. Thank you. you. Jeff Reisman, our general manager, who you know is going to be leaving us, well, moving up in the company, he was a huge fan of Robin Mead. Has an eight by ten signed picture of her in his office. Justin Kosick. Nobody knows who that is. I no mean, one honestly, knows who Robin Robin Mead is. And I, who cares? And uh, HLN is going by the boards because CNN can't turn a profit because it's not good journalists there. It's a bunch of political hacks with room temperature IQs like Don Lamone and uh, and and uh, Fredo Cuomo before him, and so on and so forth. I mean, they're they're. Awful. Yeah, and headline terrible, news had to pay the price for seeing their terrible, terrible programming. So yeah, whatever. My girl, I love her. Too Still bad, so sad. Oh, God, yuck. Um, where's that vomiting? I need a bucket. Oh, where is that? Not that bad. Ugh. She's a beautiful person, and I love whatever. Her I, who people. cares? This like navel gazing about these news readers. Uh, like they're important. Yuck. Thank you. I hate uh, stop. Oh, you you started it. Oh, Justin, you're sad Robin Mead left too. Oh. Participate in this. I feel a little country. bit better now, but God, boy, does that oh my... leave a bad taste. Uh, okay, getting on to things that are more substantive and pertinent. Uh, this exchange was interesting. I, I love this. Since we've been beset by identitarian politics between Francis Parker and Brittany, uh, <laughs> Brittany Grimes just in the last 24 hours, um, Michael Knowles of Daily Wire 
And Bronte Remsick, who is this you know pro-abort uh, Marxist advocate, cultural Marxist standard issue. I thought this was interesting. You, you want like a little tutorial on identity politics? It was a nice exchange. I thought Michael Knowles set her up very nicely. It starts with uh, pronouns, and then it ends with pro-life. Take a listen, because this is a good example of how to do it when you run into somebody who's you know, a sentimental barbarian, like all of these cultural Marxists are. Michael, do you know what the leading cause of death for pregnant people is? Pregnant people? Mm-hmm. Mothers? Women? If you'd like to call them mothers, not all of them are mothers, but if you'd like to call them that. What are they if they're not mothers? They're pregnant people. What, what people other than mothers are pregnant? Does it bother you to use inclusive language? Well, it's just I, interesting. I, I prefer to use precise language. It's interesting because you come into this conversation, you know, trying to hold this moral superiority. But then when I, I no, when I, I, I try use, to be moral when I can, but I right. But when I use inclusive language, which it only takes a couple extra syllables to use inclusive language, to include and, and who? it seems to include people who don't, you know, identify as women but can become pregnant. So, like a person who's born a woman, and then identifies as a man mm-hmm. and is pregnant. So you're telling me that in order to be a moral person, I need to accept the idea that a man, someone who is born a man and looks like a man, can really become a woman. That's, that's a, a prerequisite of my being a moral person. I mean, yes. To, to me, it is. Because if you are trying to deny someone of their identity and deny what their life experience is, then that doesn't seem like a moral stance to me. I want to be accepting and I want to respect people's life experiences and respect the way that they want to identify and respect the way that they want to present themselves to the world. Bronte, I would like to identify, I do identify actually, Mm -hmm. as the correct person on this issue of abortion. I identify as being correct and more correct than you on this issue. And I would just ask that you accept and affirm my uh, identity. Do you? Well, you are not a medical professional, and abortion and pregnancy no, is a medical concern. That's not your identity. That is my I promise you that's my identity. <laughs> it's a nice little uh, jujitsu move he pulled there. Did you catch it? Yep. Uh, it's just a couple extra syllables. No, it's participating in a lie. And you say, okay, participate in a lie to be a good person. And, hey, this is my identity. The truth doesn't matter, so I'm going to respect you by acknowledging your identity. Except when your identity is something that I reject, then I'm not going to. That's the hypocrisy that is embedded in every position the sentimental barbarians of this country take. All of the cultural Marxists in charge of all of the cultural and civic institutions in this country. That's who they are. They're Bronte Remsick. You just heard her. Bill and Waukegan, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, just wanted to say that, Dan, once you uh, get to see the Army-Navy game, you'll be, if you've never seen one before, I mean, you know, with the exception of TV, but if you've never been there live, that you your heart will be touched. And I tell you, it is one of the greatest events that I, I, I look at every year, regardless of what the state of the economy is, who the president is. It doesn't matter. I throw it all out when I get to see that game. And it just gives me a, a, a special feeling in my heart to know that those young men and those young men on uh, in uniform that are there on the field representing the United States, 
are battling together and they still respect each other at the end. And I tell you, there's nothing like it in the world. And then Amy, mm-hmm. uh, for you, ma'am, if you could, if you can call my cell number and leave me uh, like that 90 message that you did, uh, I would really <laughs> greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Thank well, you. Have a great you know, weekend, you should, guys. You know, Thanks that 90 call, message though. is working because one of our listeners said, I fell for your pajama gram commercial and I ordered them for my wife. Boom. That's what we you might be able to here. turn. You might be able to turn that into a side hustle and have like a cameo, <laughs> where you just do the uh, yeah. never nude or whatever it's called. It's the uh, nudie pajama yeah. set. Yeah. Come on. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You may be able to get a job at Francis Parker. Stop it. John in Bridgeport. All right, here we go, people. More info for you. Inside information. Amy's gonna be up to you to finish this mayoral race off, but Lori Lightfoot got some real bad news. Her research uh, company that she hired told her that she is not winning one ward, not one ward, in a mayoral runoff or in the mayoral race. It's going to be between Chewy, Willie, and Paul Vallis. Made the best win. Don't forget, I was the one that told you about Ray Lopez. Now we got this. Guys, have a good weekend. Thanks for the call, John. Well, yeah, Preckwinkle didn't even win her own ward when she had that runoff with Lightfoot. Yeah, I'm not convinced. I mean, I haven't seen any uh, polling on it, uh, but I'm not convinced of that handicapping. Ray Lopez was going to drop out. I mean, that's not exactly uh, – it was not exactly breaking news. It was pretty obvious he oh, couldn't put wanna... together the money, and then when Chewy got in, it was over. But, um, and you want him to keep his automatic seat. Yeah, I, I'm – well, I, oh, well I do. okay. I, fine, whatever. Um, the, the mayor's race, though, I'm – the idea comes down, it'll be two of the three, Willie, Paul, or Chewy. Mm, no, Lori's in the mix. I hate to break it to you. She's in the mix. She could win. Absolutely. Uh, I wonder if did, Pritzker's going to endorse her now, remember? He was endorsing her, then during his election, he said, I want to worry about my own election. I wonder if he's going to do it now. Dave and Racine. Greetings, uh my thought on the uh, whole trade with, for Brittany Griner was, you know, I'm not really crazy about it. One, because I didn't think uh, Brittany Griner, you know, was basically a ad for the so sad, too bad, it blinks to be you. But And the other is that the uh, person they traded for, the uh, arms dealer, having, getting him released seems just a contradictory to the uh, whole uh, ban gun attitude of the Biden administration. All right, Dave. Uh, Tony in Downers Grove. Well, I'm still getting over the picture being hung by uh, by your station manager of Robin Mead. What to do with that? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a but, real conundrum, folks. Yeah. yeah. No, right. but if you they'll, knew her, she's there'll be a, a there'll be a vigil person. tonight at 6 p.m. If you want to stop by. Well, she's a real hey, friend. So Dan. Oh, that's nice. I, Dan, I wanted to, I was going to ask you about the the uh, the chip manufacturers and the subsidies being handed to them, and then you had Sam Gregg on there, and I'm trying to work. How do you get through this word salad where businesses are beholden to the government but don't want to be controlled by the government, yet we need to give them incentives so they can produce things? So in the end, they're really controlled by the government. And well, yeah, uh, but but that's note, that's that's not that's a description of reality. But that's not the that's not Sam Gregg's advocacy, nor is it mine. I mean, to to go, you know, you want to get you want to go into business with the government. It's the same thing as going in business to the mob. So go watch uh, go watch uh, Sylvester Stallone and Tulsa King. That's getting into business with the government. I'm, I'm starting to fall in love with that show. 
Uh, oh, we got a we got a, a pronunciation question. Brian in Wheatfield, Indiana. Hey Dan, Amy, is it Caribbean or Caribbean? I think that's I a think potato, potato. Or aunt or aunt or milk or milk. Roof or rough? Yeah, I don't know. I think it depends. <laughs> Jewel on the or jewels? Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Front shroom. What did you say? <laughs> Tom Palos Heights. Good morning, Dan and Amy. I just thought I'd give you a call to end the week with a happy note and tell you how efficient our Cook County government is running. <laughs> oh, please do. Wife, yeah, my, my wife needed to have a, uh, a birth certificate. So she called up the Cook County and we found out that, that she could pick it up over at uh, Bridgeview. So I drove her over there. Dropped off at the front door, and I said, I'll go park, and then you call me, and I'll come back to pick you up. About two minutes later, she called me. I thought, oh, my God, they become efficient. So I drove back there, picked her up right, and uh, she informed me that she went up and talked to the guard there, and the guard said, oh, stay close up here at uh, Bridgeview. you got to go up to uh, uh, Markham. It happened about a year and a half ago. I said, well, it's on the phone that way, though. You call up, and that's the information they give you. Eh, that's typical. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks for the call, Tom. Uh, yeah. Enjoy visiting Markham. It's a yeah. lovely bedroom community. What happened to that town? That town used to be thriving. Uh, yeah. Southland demilitarized zone. Marty Naperville. Hey, I got a question. With everything going on, is there going to be a program where I can exchange a basketball for a weapon or a weapon for a basketball? Um, I'm, I don't know. Amy's the gun exchange program I don't know. correspondent. There, uh, it's a good idea. You could use your $100 prepaid gift card to buy a basketball. There you go. Uh, Grant Rockford. Good morning, you guys. Happy Friday. Best show on the radio. Um, I just wanted to ask, uh, I keep hearing about these amendments to the safety act. Now I'm, I'm going to look at property again in Missouri this week and I'm fleeing the dumpster fire that is Illinois. I can't mm -hmm. take it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I was just wondering if you could expound on those. I keep hearing about them and I read about them, how Pritzker signed it in the dark with his tail between his legs. But I, I, I can you please tell, uh, let me know what those, what the actual amendments are. I mean, it, it, it sounds like it's just up to the judges now. I, I don't understand. Right, there's, there's a, a tier system, right? Thanks for the call. Well, there's a, there's a few categories here. So the uh, one, the ending of cash bail, uh, the idea that the jails would be emptied out because they would under the way the Safety Act was written. So one amendment clarifies that the cash bail abolition won't be automatically retroactive. And there's what you were just referring to, Amy. There's a framework for hearings about detention based on severity of crime. So it's a little bit better, but it doesn't mean that a lot of people in prison right now who shouldn't be released won't be released. We don't know exactly. There'll be a hearing schedule, and it'll vary from county to county. Number two, the threat to the community standard that made so many crimes virtually non-detainable. The community threat standards reinstated as a grounds for pretrial detention. So then there's more judicial discretion based on threat to the community rather than specific knowable individual. Um, so that is an improvement. Um, high likelihood of willful flight. Again, you had to prove high likelihood of willful flight to detain. The likelihood of willful flight is defined more reasonably um, and so, again, provides more judicial discretion. So that's a minor improvement. 
Uh, uh, lastly, the act made a sweeping series of forcible felonies effectively non-detainable because they'd again have to prove threat to specific individual rather than community threat. It's now easier to detain a defendant before trial on a range of felony charges uh, based on proving only the defendant poses a threat to the community at large. So those would be the important categories of clarifications and modest improvements. But the net net is you're still going to have people who are released from prison or not detained once they're arrested for serious crimes, felonies that uh, are going to be out and they shouldn't be out. That's going to happen. And so what you're going to see in the suburbs is what you're seeing in Cook County. People out on electronic monitoring, for example, committing more crimes uh, that they couldn't have committed if they had been detained pending trial. Also, the 90-day clock to bring someone to trial, a mm-hmm. uh, 90-day limit on pretrial detention, which is not going to work. Um, there is a provision, a good cause provision for an extension, so that provides a little judicial discretion, but you still have a real problem there. And as I, when we talked about Ireland this week, mentioned, just compared to New Jersey, that took their time and got uh, prosecutors and sheriffs involved in ending cash bail in New Jersey. Their pretrial detention limit, by comparison to our 90-day, 180 days, with another 60 days for good cause. So they, uh, so that tells you what prosecutors were thinking about. Look, I got all these uh, trials to prep for. There are going to be some complicated cases, particularly in violent crimes, you murder cases with witnesses and evidence and analysis and return. And so, hey, we need time here when we're trying to do all these, you know, when every defendant's going to say, start the clock now because I got 90 days. Or in New Jersey, I got 180 days. We need the time to do these right and bring our best cases to trial to ensure justice is served. That's what New Jersey did. Illinois, modest uh, enhancement to judicial discretion here. But this law is still a catastrophe, which is why Bob Berlin, the DuPage County State's attorney, was wrong that it could be improved. He shouldn't have participated with the Democrats, three Democrat prosecutors who were involved in these amendments. He should have joined Jim Glasgow and the supermajority of county state's attorneys who are still litigating this and are going to be in Kankakee County Court to enjoin the implementation of this bill because it makes Illinois less safe, period. Chuck and Delavan. Hey, I take my hat off to all the workers that are still working and they have to go in a porta potty and take a Biden today. Hey, I went to that big Grand Funk Railroad last week. They didn't show up, so I drove to Gary all, all the way out to Gary with my AK-47 for nothing. No refund. Thank you, Ticketmaster. And then I'm going to be at the bottle shop tonight as Mr. and Mrs. Claus. Uh, well, I'll be Mr. Claus. And I'll bring your dog. It's going to be fun. All Merry right. Christmas. Thanks so much, Chuck. Maybe uh, they'll give you some Taylor Swift tickets as recompense for the Grand Funk Railroad problem. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.